0: If you're exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen.
1: I find it difficult to preach on any small amount of scripture. Um, I, I like dealing with themes. and I like dealing with context. So. The problem with that is it doesn't fit on our slides, Um, but I've printed out over on that chair, you may have missed it, I've printed out all of Acts chapter 16, which is what I've been asked to speak on today, and uh, pull that up in your Bibles or on your phone, or if you need the paper copy, Acts 16 is right there, but we're going to try this without the Sky Bible today and, and see how that goes. Levi's in Seattle preaching uh, with a church plant, or for a church plant, um, that we're quite close to, so please keep them in your prayers. I hope that that goes well. Acts 16 is what I was told to preach on, and I find it very interesting. There are a few things in Acts that stand out to me, and then those things that stand out, I think, are highlighted in 16, and so naturally, I would like to start in chapter 15. (laughs) And here's what's interesting to me. Um, Chapter 15 is talking about how the apostles decide to put a letter together. We're going to put a letter together. We're going to send it to the Gentiles. We don't need to go and bother them. They're doing well. So we're just going to kind of tell them, hey, you're doing well. Keep doing that. And here's what not to do. And then they do some more work. And then we get into 16. And here's what uh, I would like to spend some of this morning on is... 16.6, uh, all right? They went through the region of Phyregea and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And that's what I wanna focus on today. This, this verse, or not all of this morning, but this idea, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And the reason why I wanna talk about it is because it highlights a function of the Spirit that we all inherently know, but do not often talk about. And, and it's this idea, that the spirit works affirmatively, and it works negatively, and it works subtractively. And I know we know this because there is a common prayer. I'm not like the, the big book of common prayer, but a thing that we often say uh, when we pray, and it's this. God, please uh, open the doors that need to be open, and please close the doors that need to be closed. Uh, I hear this all the time. And so it's something that we inherently know, that this is indeed a way that God functions. More specifically, this is a way that the Holy Spirit functions. But we don't spend a lot of time on it, and so I'd like to spend some time on it now. The reason why I think it's important to highlight it is something that was taught to me uh, in college, and it's the idea of going until you are uncalled. Um, As many of you know, and if you don't know, now you do, I'm the youth pastor here, I work with a lot of youth, and something that I encounter quite often is when a person who is young, who is also young in their faith, receives their first explicit message from God, their first miraculous, this is clearly God telling me to do this. They go and do it, and it's amazing. And they're full of life, abounding in God's grace. But the way that, from time to time... It's kind of common. The way that sin tries to enter into this interaction is this paralysis. The idea that now that I have received a message from God in this way, I must look for this message in all that I do. God needs to tell me uh, what cereal to have in the morning or where to get my gas. (laughs) Or it goes even further It goes, well, I need need a sign from God before I go and and I, I talk to this person who I have an issue with. Or I need a sign from God before I start to work on this sin in my life. It becomes this awful paralysis because we want more of that good thing. And what we don't realize is God's instruction is so clear in Scripture that we always have something to do. And that's something that the apostles are acutely attuned to because when they're told not to go in Asia, they don't bang their heads against the wall. They try somewhere else. And as you continue to read through Acts, the Spirit stops them from going somewhere else, and they turn around and they keep going. And they continue to function within the grace and the space that God carves out for them. And I think that's something that is hard to do, which is why it's something that I like to highlight, is they're really good at it. And so I think we ought to imitate that as they imitated Christ. This paralysis I've seen in a few different ways. Um, one was in college, and uh, I went to a small Christian college where a lot of dating happened. And sometimes dating didn't happen because my peers, my my friends, fellow young men would go, I'm waiting, I'm just like, you know, we're friends, but I'm waiting for a sign from God, and then I'm gonna ask her out. I'm like, okay, that's fair. Yeah, you're praying about it, you're being careful. A few weeks would go by, like, hey, how's it going, huh? Still waiting. A few months would go by. And eventually, I came to the conclusion, I, like, I think you're just scared to talk to her. <laughs> you know, I don't think you're going to get struck by lightning if you ask this woman out, and you're both Bible study majors. Like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> you don't need to see it in writing in the sky. And that's the, that was the kind of paralysis that I'm speaking. To. It's like, I can't do it. It's Like, no, no, you're functioning within God's grace. You're where you're supposed to be. Staying on that topic, I often find myself counseling young people on on vocational discernment. It's something that I try to make a point of when someone's a junior or a senior in high school. It's like, okay, are you going to go to college or not? If not, why and what are your options? What interests you? If you are going to college, how do you pick a college? And these young people get so afraid that they can get it wrong, that there is a way for them to get it wrong that takes them outside of God's grace. Now, there are... Good decisions to make. You know, if you're a person who struggles with temptations towards um, partying and all the negative things that come with that, then do not go to some massive state school and induct yourself into some uh, fraternity or sorority. Don't do that. You should indeed not do that. But oftentimes, okay, we weed that out, and then it's like, okay, which of these three Christian colleges should I go to that all have my major and all have these different advantages and they continue to think there's one, there's one that's right. God wants me to go to one of them. And if I go to the others, I am being so disobedient. I'm, I'm being sinful by picking this Christian college instead of this Christian college. Well, when the fact is that God's grace is so much wider than that. Um. And don't get me wrong. There, there are times where it's very clear. that like, yes, I'm meant to be here. But something that I like to tell them and to highlight, and I know that the Spirit works this way because the Spirit works this way and acts, is that it will be very apparent if the place is not for you. If you go to, if you go to visit a college, um, and I think this translates somewhat into, into finding a new church when you move and just generally in life, but if you go somewhere and that place is bad for you, it is so apparent. If a place is good for you, it can be a slow burn. You can realize a week later, wait, they have this, this. You know what? I should go here, right? I find that from time to time, the revelation of good things happening to us or a good thing for us, it takes time to realize that that's a good thing. But when God does not want you somewhere, it is so very apparent. You will know so quickly that you are not meant to be in a place that you are or are trying to go. And I know this because it's how the Spirit functions and Acts. So it's something that I like to, like to highlight. I've seen this in my own life, not in my own life, but in my family. And looking back on it, it's kind of funny, and it's kind of scary, and I'm going to share it with you now. So when I was a young boy, I was 12 years old. How tall are you when you're 12? When I was 12 years old, running around my house like this, My sister was 16, and my sister and I differ in a handful of ways. Uh, Primarily in high school, she was a complete socialite. She had many, many friends, and I remember in Massachusetts, you can get your permit at 15 and a half. And right when she turned 15 and a half, she was like the day after her birthday, she had to go get her permit. So that way, right when she turned 16, she could have her license, and she could go out and do things with her friends. And personally, I did not get my license until 18 because I didn't find it reasonable to leave the house. But my sister, having a much healthier social life than I did, uh, got her license at 16. And so she would go out. She, like, actually made good on that desire, and she'd go out with her friends. And in the house that I grew up in, you have to walk through the kitchen to, to get to the back door, which is where the driveway was. Um, so one night, uh, my sister had gotten ready to go out, um, and she was going to go. My mom had said yes. And I remember this very clearly. And I was 12. and So it surprises me that I remember this so clearly. But my mother stops her, and she goes, Rebecca, I don't want you to go out tonight. My sister goes, wait, why? You said that I could go to this thing. And my mother said this, look, it's just because I'm your mother, and something's wrong, and I don't want you to go out tonight. And here's why it is so memorable. Now, many of you could probably make a very good guess as to the conversation that ensued, where my mother told her that she could go out, and then at the last second said, "No, you can't go out." All right? Think of that fight. Now, here's what really happened. My sister said, "Okay, mom, I trust you," and she put her things away and she went to bed. And so it's funny because they have an amazing relationship. I'm, you know, I'm blessed with how healthy that my family is. But of course, they would fight when, especially when she was in high school like that. So it's funny in that way, but it's terrifying in another way, because I do not know what God was keeping her from that night. And I will never know. So when we pray, God, shut the doors, it can also be, God, keep the doors shut that are already closed, never let me look behind them. Keep me from evil. And so it's a little scary, because I don't know what God protected her from that night, but I'm so happy that he did, and I praise him that he did. And I know that the Spirit functions this way, because it's the way that it led the apostles, in a sense. We are always tempted... The, The other thing that impresses me about the apostles' function in light of the Spirit stopping them from going certain places is that throughout Scripture... People who are privy to the power of God, often the sin enters that situation by making a person think that it is of themselves or it is something that they can summon or do within themselves. So many people in the Bible do this. Abraham tries to take the promise of the covenant into his own hands. Moses strikes the rock. Samson starts killing people with the strength that God gave him. In the New Testament, right, the sons of thunder, the disciples, hey, this town rejected us. Let's call fire and lightning down upon it. And Jesus told them no. (laughs) But I know that this is a temptation because it spans both testament. It spans multiple Bible stories. That when God is so present and so consistently present, that people start to take it for granted. And I think there's a version of Acts where the apostles do bang their heads against the wall. There there is a version of reality where the Spirit says, don't go into Asia, and they try anyway. Israel makes this mistake all the time. But they're faithful. We don't have that version of Acts. We have this version of Acts where they're faithful. They said, okay, and they went and did something else and operated within the space and grace God had given them. And so this I find admirable, and I think it is something that we are meant to imitate as they imitate Christ, because that temptation is is so deadly. We we constantly ask for miracles and for God's work, um, as if that is is the ultimate thing, that God's doings is the ultimate thing, as if, if this happens, then I will be free from distorting it. I will not be able to take this, and somehow sin can't come into it. It can, it does, the Bible tells us it does. Um, But in this case, in the early church, the apostles are very good at not letting that happen. So I find that interesting. Now, at the start of 16, Paul picks up Timothy. Um, It's earlier in their relationship where Paul is starting to train Timothy. And something very interesting happens, where they know that they're about to go to areas that are primarily Jewish, and so Timothy, his mother is Jewish, his father is Greek, um, is circumcised, preparing to go to these places where uh, the population is primarily Jewish. That makes sense, save the fact uh, of the idea of Christian freedom. You know, later on in scripture, specifically in Galatians, which I encourage you to go to after this, Paul talks about freedom. And he talks about it with great conviction. You know, you are free. You can do things. In other parts of scripture, it's you can eat meat sacrificed to pagan gods. That is how free you are. Because gods made with hands aren't gods. Right? right? You can eat foods that were formerly But now, because Christ has fulfilled the law, you may partake of those things without sin. And then this specific issue, Paul vehemently says, no, you do not need to be circumcised to acquire a salvific faith. It is a question that the early church faced, and it is a question that they answered explicitly. No, you do not need to do this to acquire a salvific faith. That's a big chunk of scripture. I mean, it's derived from Christ's teachings. You, know, you, you can pick up your mat on Sunday. It's okay now. I, like, it's really going to be fine. But then in Acts 16, Timothy is circumcised. And so I think the natural question is, why or how do we hold these themes and teachings of freedom with how Paul... And the early church, interacted because it's not just Timothy's circumcision. Uh, we also know that Paul, when he's with Gentiles, is like Gentiles. When he's with Jews, is like Jews. You know, we know that when he is in Athens, he engaged in debate because it is a form of communication that Athenians were comfortable with, and so it's something he did, right? And then in Scripture itself, he makes metaphors using contemporary sports and the and the social power dynamic. And so how do we hold these two ideas, this freedom? And not only freedom, but then also, this is interesting, the other thing that makes me want to dive deeper into Timothy's circumcision is the idea that um, as ministers, it is not our job to make the gospel attractive. You know, Jesus is very explicit on this. The gospel will offend some. You know, it's going to offend individuals, and they're going to have to put it in a more primary place in their hearts than even their relationships to their closest families. Right? We have other lessons in Scripture. Levi spoke on this a few weeks ago. You know, Jesus sending the disciples, go and preach the gospel, and if you get totally rejected, dust your feet off and move on. So that's these two teachings. Freedom and then... The offensiveness of the gospel and holding to telling the story of the gospel. Yet, Paul has Timothy circumcised and would change his communication style depending on the audience. And it's not a contradiction. But I do like to phrase it as a tension. Because it is hard to hold them at the same time. I think a way we can hold them at the same time is understanding this that, no, it is not our jobs to make the gospel attractive. But it is our jobs to communicate it and to communicate it effectively. And to that end, Paul goes to great lengths, right? There's no doubt, technically, that, uh, and the other reason that Timothy could be circumcised is because uh, um, that decision was about Gentiles needing to be circumcised for a salvific faith, but Timothy's Jewish, right? He's half-Jewish, but it's a matriarchy, so your Jewishness is determined by whether or not your mother is Jewish, and his was, and so he was. But in order for there to be no question, in order for there to be clearer communication between him and who they were going to be preaching to, speaking to, they would go to great lengths to tear those barriers down. Because what's at stake is other people's understanding of the gospel. And so as much as I personally don't like it, when a modern pastor uh, uses a football metaphor or says something like, the love of Jesus is like a hamburger, and then that's what the sermon's on, <laughs> I have to deal with it because it's, it's biblical. You know, As long as you are not changing the content of the gospel, ministers have, will, should, are led by the Spirit to make it, more understandable, to communicate it more effectively. And so I have to deal with it, and I have to sit, and I have to listen to those sermons. I don't particularly like them, but it's not about me. (laughs) Now, we get to Paul and Silas in prison, uh, which takes up the whole later half of 16 Um, Sorry, I'm skipping over the salvation of Lydia. Um, Save it to say that a wealthy person was saved um, by hearing the word from Paul and Silas, and then later she housed them. And so that's how the spirit sort of works with the salvation of Lydia. There's much more to say there, but you know, we have time limits. So Paul and Silas in prison, it kicks off with this woman who is possessed by a spirit. Scripture tells us that it is a spirit of divination and that she is able to accurately predict things in the future. Unfortunately, this woman is a slave and she is owned by people. And the people who own her use this spirit to make a lot of money. Um, We don't get told what she was predicting. Uh, Was it, you know, this is when to sell grain, this is when... I don't know, gold is going to be worth more, so on and so forth. We don't get told what it is, but suffice it to say that her insight into the future was accurate enough, constant enough, far out enough that they made a great fortune on it. And the spirit of divination, when it sees Paul and Silas, it appears to also see the work that they do, the spirit of God that follows them. And so, as you'll see in Acts, as you'll see at the start of this story, it goes, these are the men. <laughs> these men have the way of salvation. And Scripture tells us after a few days, Paul gets annoyed, and he says, in the spirit of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And she does. And then again, I think the natural question is, why? Why? on the surface, I think that it seems like a good thing. You have this woman who has this power from outside herself, who is affirming the fact that you are telling people the way to salvation. And I think, I mean, to me, this sounds like good advertising. It sounds like, yeah, you know what? I do. Yeah, come hear the gospel. (laughs) This is a good thing. Scripture is short, and it tells us that Paul casts it out because he was annoyed. I think there are a few things to infer from that. One is that possession is never a good thing in the Bible. It is not. In other religions, it can be. Specifically, you know, at that time in Greece, if you're possessed by a spirit of divination that's something that you should be happy about. But clearly, the Spirit abused this woman so much to the point where her following and her shouting annoyed the apostles even though she was speaking the truth. So questions come to mind like, was she able to eat while being seized? You know, Did she ever rest while she was seized? And so Paul casting the Spirit out is grace is almost a healing miracle, in my opinion. There's another reason why I think Paul would have cast, or Paul did cast this spirit out, Um, and it has to do with the shame-honor society of the first century. All right, so we live in a right and wrong society where we have all of these codified laws, and uh, those laws and then some uh, unwritten rules kind of dictate what is right and what is wrong. But then in shame-honor societies, it's less about what you do, but why you do it. So you could do things that would seem to be wrong, but you could have an honorable reason for doing them. And this dictated the whole power structure of the first century. And I think a good way to illustrate this is, um, do you all remember in the Gospels where Jesus is constantly telling people not to tell people who he is or what he did? It's very interesting. And I, I, I think we should ask, again why? You know, if someone puts it together, it's like, oh, you're the son of God. Jesus is like, you're right. Tell no one. (laughs) Why? Or he'll heal someone. I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for this healing. Jesus goes, yep, tell no one. Now, in the first case, where someone puts it together that Jesus is indeed the son of God, I think a reasonable reason that he tells them to not tell people is because the time for that revelation is the cross. The time for that revelation is the crucifixion. And so he's holding it off and letting that be the right time for that revelation. But sometimes, it's not every time, sometimes it's a simple healing. And then he tells them, tell no one. And here is, I think, why. The way you would gain power, the way you would start a movement in the first century, Uh, is you would do things for other people. And they would repay you, not through money or material things. They would repay you through honoring you. So let's say I wanted to gain some political power in my community and and maybe even climb the ladder and, and try and make it into some political office. What I would do is I would pay off a bunch of people's debts and I would not expect the money back, so I wouldn't be buying their debt, I would just pay it off. And the way they would repay me is they would go around and say, oh yes, Ross is an honorable man, he's a man who pays people's debts, he's a good man. And it wouldn't just be an attempt at paying me, it wouldn't just be doing it because they don't have the money, although that's part of the reason. It would essentially be what I bought from them. What I bought from them was that Lip service? Was that word of mouth? So, Jesus telling people not to speak of what he's doing is twofold. One, he is refusing to start Christianity the way that you would normally create power, he's refusing to accumulate power the way that secular people would accumulate power. And two, he's telling them that they should not and cannot repay him. Because in this society, like, let's say he heals you, right? You saying, oh, Jesus is a great person because he healed me wouldn't just be doing you doing your best. It's like, oh, it's all I can do to repay him. In this structure, it, it would actually just be repaying him. He did this for me, and now I'm giving him honor, telling people that he's honorable, and giving him lip service, and now we're even. That is a dangerous lie. The idea that we can repay Christ for the work that he's done for us Very dangerous. And it's something that he keeps the people whom he does miracles for, from. He does this service for them because the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. So, he says, don't talk about it. You You don't need to repay me, and you can't. And so I think that's uh, quite powerful. And for these reasons, I think, uh, for this structure is another reason why Paul would have sent this spirit out. Because here's this woman uh, proclaiming and saying, these guys are good guys, these guys have got it. Um, and, And that is eventually going to look like just partaking in how you would gain power. But they're not out to gain power, they're out to spread the gospel. And so both for the betterment of this woman and to refuse to gain power within the secular structure the same way Jesus did. I think these are... Um, possible reasons why Paul set the spirit out all we're told is that he was annoyed um, but the spirit of Jesus does indeed send the spirit out and so I think it wasn't just that Paul was annoyed (laughs) because Jesus comes and actually does the miracle Um, God doesn't move cars for me when I'm in traffic like I'm annoyed at people going slower and I I don't say in the spirit of Jesus I say go 65 miles an hour and the person doesn't speed up so I think it's reasonable that, that there, there are multiple layers as to why um, this spirit is cast out. All right. This, uh, this has just been a survey of 16. Um, I don't want to bring too much to the text. I, I like letting the text happen to me. And so we're going to get to the end here, um, and then we'll button it up, and that'll be it. But we have the very famous story of Paul and Silas in prison. They cast out this spirit, and then, oh no, she can't make money anymore for the people who own her. And so they report, the, 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 the enslavers report Paul and Silas, not because of what they did, but because of something that would probably get them in even more trouble, which is they're telling people to do things that are contradictory to the Roman law. It wouldn't be a very strong accusation of, hey, this person actually exercised a spirit like before my very eyes. We should throw them in prison. That would not work out well. So they lie a little bit uh, and say these men are, are trying to usurp the power of the Roman Empire in this area. And Paul and Silas are thrown into prison and they are tortured. And then that night, they are singing hymns and saying prayers, and an earthquake happens, and their, their chains fly off. And then in the morning, the guard comes, and he sees what has happened at the prison. And scripture tells us, you can see it right there in 16, the guard draws his sword and goes to kill himself, because again, shame on our society. There is no going back. It is the last honorable thing that he thinks he could do. So this guard goes to kill himself, and Paul says, no, I'm still right here. So is everyone else. We've just been talking about Jesus all night. This is what loving your enemy looks like for two reasons. One, the guard of the prison likely was present, either presiding over or partaking in uh, Paul's and Silas' own torture. So that's one aspect. And two, Paul is a very effective preacher for this time, right? He's the Pharisee of Pharisees, but he's also been a Roman soldier and a Roman citizen. And because of that experience, I believe Paul knew, he knew that that is what the guard was going to do if they weren't there that morning, right? Paul was not just a Roman citizen, not just a Roman soldier, but a leader, A leader in the army, he understands this power dynamic, and I think he knows if he leaves, he's essentially killing a man, killing a man who tortured him. (laughs) But he resists that temptation, and he stays. And so Paul saves this guard's life, not by coincidence, I think, but we can take his experience and know that it is by intention. That's something that always intrigues me, that that, that this is so explicitly loving your enemy. Like this Roman guy who arrested you for spreading Christianity and did great physical harm to you, that he ticks all the boxes for the enemy. Yet Paul saves his life. And I think that's something to meditate on and to think about um, and to imitate maybe in contemporary ways. Uh, as Paul imitated Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this beautiful day. Um, Thank you for these congregants and this time that we can spend together. Uh, Please be with Levi as he's preaching down in Seattle. Um, Fill his mouth with your words uh, and your wisdom for that church that is growing there. Amen. Please rise to receive the benediction. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Have a good week.
0: Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world. And hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks, and this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the Events tab at our website, AwakenAlaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.